How do I charge a car? Can I charge it in the rain? How far can I drive? Electric car? What's a power grid? Is V2G possible? What is V2G? Do I get free parking for my EV? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Electric Avenue, a podcast about the electric mobility revolution and new energy economy as seen from our perspective out here in Central and Eastern Europe. I'm your host, Aaron Fishbone, Communications Director at Electric Mobility Charging Service Provider Greenway, based in Bratislava, Slovakia. This is part two of a special series that we're bringing you directly from a conference that we organized in Brussels at the end of March of this year. Our main goal was to raise some important issues with our peers, policymakers, and other EV enthusiasts. There is so much substantive information shared on these panels, and we wanted to be able to share with you a podcasting community. And so we're presenting these episodes in their entirety, and each episode has been longer than the usual Electric Avenue episode, but totally worth it. This episode is about energy storage and the role of charging point operators in the energy system now and in the future. The panelists assembled to discuss these big and important topics came from a variety of perspectives and sectors. They are Richard Ferrer, Senior Project Manager, Innovation Team at the Innovation and Networks Executive Agency of the European Commission, Ivo Schmidt, who serves in the Cabinet of the European Commission Vice President, Maros Ševčovič, Sven Brink, Team Lead, B2B, European Network Development at Allego, Charging Services Company, and Naomi Chevillard, Policy Advisor for Solar Power Europe. The panel is moderated by Peter Badik, who's the Managing Partner of Greenway. So whatever it is that you do while listening to podcasts, get started and enjoy the debate. Okay, thank you. I promise this is the last time on the stage. Uh, one of the things which we have done during the project, as I already indicated, was the somehow integration of the battery storage systems with the charging infrastructure and with the renewable sources, because we believe, strongly believe that charging infrastructure is intersection between the electric vehicles and the energy system. That's what we want to talk about today as well with our panelists. One of the reasons why we introduced the battery storage uh, system is because we believe there are many benefits for the charging point operator to have them in the network. If you look at a number of electric vehicles connected to the charging network, you can manage the charging, but you do not have a full control over this process because you don't have a control how to discharge the electricity back to the grid. On the other side, if you have a storage on the local side, you can do a lot of interesting things with that. One of the things which you can do is to have the micromanagement of the site. So if you can uh, provide more charging capabilities on that particular location without extension of the grid and a grid connection, we talked today in a panel how expensive it could be to bring more power on the site, then you pay need to pay a fees. So the battery could be one of the, the solution. Batteries always in the system should be considered from so-called stocking of the services. So it's not only one service which you provide with the battery, it should be a series of services which you provide with the investment and leveraging the investment into that. And uh, therefore, managing the micro side of the several charges is only one thing. There are other things which are listed here, like energy demand shifting, management of the whole site, for example. So with the batteries, we are able not only to manage the charges or provide the power to the charges, but as well provide the energy system of the whole facility, building, shopping mall, whatever. 
And uh, last but not least, integration of renewable sources, because we know that the sun is not always shining at a time when you need to charge, therefore you need a battery to do it. Here is a small graph from the real life and basically how this kind of a system is working. We have uh, implemented in the sites uh, this uh, three battery storage, which we did with, from this project, was in, always with the sides with the two chargers. But we have a limited capacity. As was said, for example, in Poland, you have much cheaper connection if you go below 40 kV. So you can set the power limit, which you can get from the grid, for example, to 30 kV. When the vehicle is coming and you require much more, 50 kV, which is the power of the charger, then this is a requirement of the vehicle, then immediately the discharging of the battery will be here. So we're getting from the grid 30 kV and the remaining is getting from the batteries. As soon as the vehicle is gone and there is a possibility to recharge again the battery back, so it's ready to be used for next time. Very simple, but uh, naturally, it looks uh, simple at the end, uh, but putting it, everything together and work and communicate via all protocols, all CPIs and other stuff, it's not really easy stuff, but principles are, I think, pretty understandable. Why we are really talking about this connection between the energy and the electric vehicles? This is one principal thing which you consider, and maybe it's good just to get the flavor about the numbers. Let's give an example. If we would have in Europe 3% of all vehicles to be electric, not really a large number, 3%. It's uh, approximately 7 million vehicles because we have about 250 million vehicles in Europe. So it will be, it will be like numbers. If you consider that average battery size will be 35 kilowatt hours, which may be actually even larger because if you are in electromobility business, you know that now we have new models which are coming actually with much larger batteries. So maybe this 35 is not really good average. At that time when we will be at 3%, probably the average battery size would be much larger. And if you imagine that this could be connected via 10 kilowatt connection, which is basically the normal charging, then you come to the huge number. If you multiply these numbers, 254 gigawatt hour of storage capacity in these vehicles, only in 3% of the fleet, and theoretically 70 gigawatt regulation capacity. Naturally, it would require that all these vehicles are connected at the same time, which is not going to happen, but the reason of this slide is just a little bit to give you a flavor and comparing it in the fact that at the moment, wind capacity connected in Europe is about 160 gigawatt. So this is really not numbers which are really far away. And we know how big topic is a wind industry already in Europe, luckily, because we are really moving to the green electricity production. Example number two, very quickly, 15%, 37 million vehicles, 1,700 gigawatt hour of storage capacity, 570 gigawatts of the theoretically regulation capacity. And this is a 20% storage capacity compared to 20% of daily electricity production in Europe. So we are talking about probably the largest distributed energy storage which we will have in a system. Large, larger than is uh, anything else which we know at the moment. Pump hydro in Norway and I don't know in Austria, if you know that if you haven't been there in Alps, huge projects capable to store a lot of energy. If we really go into mass deployment of electric vehicles, probably the batteries will be a very important part of the energy system in the future. Therefore, I think it makes sense from the very beginning to do already now this kind of a pilot project where you, in a small scale, trying to understand how this thing could work together. And this is very briefly from Euroelectric, I borrowed this slide. If we want to meet climate goals, we need to electrify. We need to electrify every sector. We need to electrify industries, building, transportation. There are several scenarios. I don't want to go into the details, but just want to show you. Do you see this, how tiny it is and how big it has to be? We have a huge goal in front of us. 
huge task and uh, we need to work at it and it will be a huge impact on the energy system as well. And that's the reason why we will talk about it in this panel. Let me introduce our panelists. If I can, they ask you to say a few words about you, what's your position and what's your role in this topic, what's your, what's your link to this topic, Richard. Yes, good afternoon. So Richard Ferrer, I'm the head of the innovation sector at INEA, the European Commission Executive Agency, which means that uh, I'm dealing uh, with a portfolio of more or less 100 projects uh, that we co-finance uh, by the instruments presented by Gauthier before. Uh, and uh, those projects are mostly relating to uh, alternative fuels, being electromobility or LNG, hydrogen, CNG, etc. And uh, some projects relating more and more to uh, managing big data and IT systems, of course, uh, in a multimodal approach. Good morning. Uh, I'm Naomi Chuviar. I'm a policy advisor at Solar Power Europe. So Solar Power Europe, it's a trade association which represents the PV industry active in Europe. And within Solar Power Europe, I coordinate our uh, action on transport because Solar Power Europe has been engaged in the uh, electrification of transport by being part notably of the Platform for Electromobility, which is a coalition of actors here in Brussels supporting the development of electromobility. But beyond that, we started the work uh, about one year ago on what we call solar mobility, which looks at how to further integrate uh, renewables and specifically solar and clean mobility models. Thank you. My name is Sven Brink, working for Allego. Allego is a charge point operator, currently uh, working and operating in nine countries in uh, Europe. And as part of the Mega E project, one of the blended calls, uh, starting to roll out to another, in total, 20 countries in Europe. Currently, I'm responsible for finding the locations for these uh, ultra-fast uh, stations. And previous that, in my role within Lego, I was involved in the uh, project FASTE, the CEF-funded project, as well as the SLAM project, which was funded by the uh, German Ministry of Innovation. Also, projects rolling out 50 kilowatt charging infrastructure in Europe. And as part of that, we have deployed uh, battery solutions as well and smart grid connections to uh, yeah, optimize the uh, balance between grid connection, grid connection cost, as well as the uh, output to the EVs. Hello, my name is uh, Ivo Schmidt. I work for the European Commission in the cabinet of Vice President Shevchevich, who you know is currently on leave, so I'm not representing him, but rather speaking in a personal capacity. He will be back on Monday, so things will be back to normal. <laughs> As you know, he's championed a lot uh, electromobility and the whole overall decarbonization of the transport sector, and so by nature, our, our job has been a lot to connect the dots from the various pieces of legislation in the clean energy package. Thank you very much. So maybe... Well, I would start with you. So your cabinet or cabinet of Mr. Shevchevich, and you were involved as well with a lot of discussions about the batteries. Why it's so important for Europe? Maybe before I start with the batteries, I might make uh, a few comments on, on the overall energy um, mm -hmm. legislation, on, let's call it a sort of a energy transition, because it's much more than just energy yes. and than just power. The whole logic of this commission was to actually look at it from a holistic point of view, which is something that we realize is inevitable once you talk about total decarbonization. So once you realize what you have to do and to meet your Paris agreement, and even before that, even before we had Paris, when we agreed on the 2030 targets, we realized that a lot of electrification is coming. We realized that a lot of sort of transboundaries between these sectors is going to happen. And therefore, we made sure that all these pieces of legislation that we have adopted, the energy market design, the renewables directive, the alternative fuel infrastructure, actually already had all the hooks and pieces to make sure that the various pieces are, are compatible. So beyond legislation, which I think legislation is important to give them the market a signal so to showcase that you have a business case 
We talked before earlier about how many, you know, basically when your cash flow will come in only at a later stage. Giving sort of, a, you know, legislation that says there will be X, Y, Z amount of electric cars on the road and you have a certain demand that makes your project probably more bankable. So I think that point of view is also very important to underline. Now, having said that, of course, the battery thing, what we've done in this commission is totally non-related to legislation. So the commission used its sort of more or less convening power to bring together the various actors because we realize that there's a huge sort of market failure in Europe to bring together um, the various sectors of industry, whether it be chemical, electrotechnical, OEMs, or anybody out there really. So we created a battery alliance about uh, just a bit more than a year ago. And within these 12, 14 months, we got 100 billion euros of basically committed money ready to be invested into a new project. That's basically to scale up the whole value chain of battery manufacturing in Europe because I think the political bottom line of this is that we don't want to substitute the fossil fuel import dependency we have right now with the battery import dependency. So that's mm -hmm. the starting point. Maybe I have just one additional question. You said about legislation, how the legislation can things move forward. Uh, are you happy how it's moving into the real life? It's, you know, to have a legislation is one thing, but to really have the impact in real life is a little bit different. And I can just go back to the, the very famous Dieselgate. You know, what happens at that time, that's not your DG, I know, but you know, we had a legislation in Europe, but at the end, I think the Dieselgate was a kind of a spectacular failure of pushing this legislation into real life. So do you see, we have maybe good legislation, but is it going to translate into real life? I mean, the Dieselgate was, of course, a massive failure on an amount of uh, various uh, levels of politics and industry, of course, we can blame because they're the ones that cheated. But, of course, the loopholes were there, and we hope that the same will not reproduce itself in, in other sectors. And I think we've learned our lesson. I think, as far as we know, we've done our homework. The EU has corrected at our level what we had to do to fix the Dieselgate to ensure that there's enough repair to make sure that uh, the member states do their homework as well. Again, legally, there's not much more we could have done and now. I can maybe advise you to look at uh, the roadmap for clean uh, vehicles, basically, which we adopted just last week in Romania. I think that's a good way to give you an overview of what we have done and what has to be done still. But, of course, legislation that we adopt means nothing if member states don't transpose it. So you're perfectly right. Now we have all these 1,000 pages of the energy union legislation that we've adopted, and there's one or two years of transposition or implementation, and that's our role now in the Commission, basically, as the guardian of the treaty, to make sure that uh, it's there in spirit and then not just in letter. And, uh, yeah, I guess there will be uh, a lot of work. The good news is that all the legislation that have targets for 2030 have revision clauses built into them, so whether it be ETS, the CO2 emission standards for cars and vans or for trucks, the Renewables Directive, energy efficiency buildings and so forth. So this built-in revision clause to be in line and fully compliant with our Paris agreements or with our revised international uh, sort of commitments will be very important in the next commission to make sure that this sort of this energy transition continues further and is adapted to the falling costs of technology, which is what we inevitably see. Swan. You, as Lego, I think, is coming as well from the energy sector, at least from the shareholder point of view. I think there were some shareholders and, and from the utility previously. So yeah, I think you have very close link to that. So how do you see the position of you as a CPO in correlation to the energy industry at all and overall picture? Maybe one stack backwards. Um, we used to have a very close relationship to uh, our previous shareholder, which was a grid company. Since three quarters of a year, we've been sold and we're part of a... Uh, commercial long-term investor, mm -hmm. uh, which completely commercialized view on CPO costs and setting up network. But to be honest, Allego started off as an initiative of that good operator in the Netherlands, basically to see like, okay, electric cars are coming to the market. 
and what is it going to do to our network? That was the principal thought behind it. We can wait until it happens or we can join them. So that's where they started slowly, but it got a bit out of hand. So we were growing, <laughs> we were growing too fast. And then they decided, okay, we'll make the move. And we were being sold and now we're in the hands of a shareholder company. So from that, we are currently expanding into the market. But in our projects that we're doing in the various countries in the Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, France, the UK, we come across, as we had the discussion earlier in the first panel, the grid operation costs, which tend to be a variety of costs uh, over the countries and even within the countries. To give you an idea, in Germany, there are 906 grid DNOs, and they each have their own <laughs> tariff structure. So in one, I pay for a connection 20,000 euros, another one, I pay 120,000 euros for the same kind of connection. That's the variety and ranging that we are dealing with. So that if you have to optimize a location, you have to start to become creative, and that's why we started to introduce batteries as well. Four locations where, for example, we can't get the necessary grid connection. So to be able to allow fast charging, we introduced batteries to basically, as you showed in the graph there, push up the power so you can do fast charging still on a fairly small grid connection. But we have as well experience where we've done like peak shaving to avoid these uh, penalties that you get from the DNOs for the peak when the car is coming to charge. Put the battery there and just peak shave the cost of it to control the cost. And that we did in the Fast E project in joint cooperation with Renault. We used second-hand car batteries, built them into a 10-feet container, supporting various numbers of fast charges. And that worked out fine. Very interesting, and it works for a bit. So we see a huge demand for batteries. Stationary solutions, but as well in the future, using the batteries in the cars for storage. Mm -hmm. You might even give a certain percentage of your battery to a commercial party that can use the energy in there to start trading. And we have a project now with battery storages, seven of them, where part of it is used as peak shaving and part of the battery capacity is being used as trading onto the internet of the storing capacity to generate an additional income stream to make it viable. Because at the moment, setting up containers with batteries is commercially not viable. But with introducing these kind of trading assets, it gets more attractive. But it's still in learning curve, and that's where we were very happy to have the grants from CF, as well as now in Mega E projects, to develop these guys and experience the things that we are running into. And we see a huge future for that in combining it with smart technology, smart balancing of the grid. Mm -hmm. We're not there. There's a huge will to develop, which we are currently completely on top of it. So at the end, maybe you will make a loop, but you will be again the energy company, which probably this will be the case in uh, Greenway as well somehow. Yeah, I think it will be very important. We should feed it with from renewables. We should uh, make sure that electric vehicles are run by the clean energy because that's, I think, very important. We learned it in Poland, how important it is, because naturally the electric vehicles are very much welcomed there in that country. That's without any doubt. It's very much supported. But people in our survey have very often the questions how the energy is produced when we know that the energy mix in Poland is heavily dependent on the coal and then the great CO2 density. So... 
What's your view on it? Yeah, no, exactly. I think uh, you said the, the basic thing and the most important thing about renewable and mobility. Uh, Secretary General of the Dutch uh, PV Association said recently that EV and PV are friends because PV generates and EV consumes. <laughs> and I like it because in a very simple way, it describes why we should develop renewable mobility, even though what's behind all of this is very complex. So indeed, yes, we looked at the development of electromobility and when we look at that, we see that e-mobility had challenges to develop and challenges when uh, its relationship with the electricity world developed. So making sure that we have the additional electricity supply, making sure that this is renewable indeed, but also tackling the challenge of grid integration of EVs which are going to represent decentralized load, etc. But when you look at these challenges, we realized that they were also very close to the challenges of PV. We need to build additional PV capacity. We need to uh, deal with distributed PV capacity. We need to increasingly deal with DSOs, for example. So these challenges are very, very close. And we thought there is an opportunity to think of new business models coupling directly renewable and mobility, and especially solar. So, as you say, uh, there are opportunities, there is a demand from the market. People who engage into uh, electric mobility often think beyond that. They want to uh, source their own energy, they want their electricity to be green, so there is really a demand. Uh, and we see business model uh, emerging. Uh, I have one example here in Brussels. Brussels will develop a network of public charging stations, and they will be powered with uh, renewables, uh, with a green electricity supply. But we also see other things emerging, like uh, on-site PV with charging uh, EV chargers. For example, in France, lab uh, research center that installed PV panels and uh, chargers of EV, and that is able to cover between 20% and 80% of its consumption, building plus EV charger, uh, depending on the day. But also examples of charging stations coupling EV and PV. So there are uh, opportunities, there are business models, and mm -hmm. we need to, to work on that. But I think, and here maybe you can meet, we can only do that if we have the right enablers. Uh, if we want to develop solar mobility, if we want to develop renewable mobility uh, models, we need to have smart charging in place. That's only by being able to control the charging mm -hmm. that will enable such models. So indeed, I think it's really about time to... Uh, think of these two worlds together to work on smart charging, to work on self-consumption, so how does a building can develop EV chargers and PV self-consumption, and really to think of these two sectors together because, well, first it's needed, but also that there are many, many opportunities. Mm -hmm. Can I just add that I think the EU has done its homework already on this. The Renewable Director actually has a specific article which not only says that 13% have to come from transport, as you know, but... Um, if it's electric, so renewable electricity and transport, it's counted the average of the two years before that in the system. So say a country produces 50%, you count 50%. But if you use direct connection, like you were saying, then you can count 100%. So actually the incentive from the legislative point of view is already there and that's also good for a business model. Yes, definitely. And we followed very closely that uh, the negotiation of this article. Now I think that uh, we want to continue working on that, on the implementation. That's exactly what you said. The law, EU law is the law, but then it has to be implemented. So, so making sure that these solutions are known, that they are valued, that they can count on the national target for renewable mm. in transport. Uh, yeah, that's mm. something we need to work on. Maybe to add, I think as a charge point operator, we are very lucky to be in the middle there because we have the options to shift back and forward. And as one of the examples is that we have a, a current project in the Netherlands 
where we're looking into a larger number of uh, charge poles being connected with the users to delay charging. Just wait until the time, basically there's an overflow on the electricity market, prices are going down, and then you start charging your car. Not when you arrive, because that is something between 5 or 6 o'clock, when everybody switches on the television, starts cooking, and the energy demand is going up. So with our back office, we are capable of making, yeah, those shifts and just streaming the direction of the points where charging is most obvious, prices is low, and balance the grid. Because yeah, you showed it as well, the grid, there is still more than enough capacity. We only have to use it smartly and start charging on the moment. And with the new cars coming to the market, batteries are tend to become bigger. If that's 35 kilowatts, we see now the average is going between 40 and 60 kilowatts and a lot of 80 kilowatts. It means that there is so much capacity in the car that people will probably have to charge only one or two or three times a week because the car has enough capacity. So it gives you the leverage to use that capacity to delay and use it on different moments, and that will take the peak demand out of the grid and enables us to use and combine renewable sources as well. Wind energy, store it during the day when the car is at your workplace, store the car to full, take the electricity home, and then second year we'll start doing vehicle to grid. You use the grid, basically the energy for the car, to use and do the cooking at home, and just not use it from the grid, but from the car, and ease out just... So many options. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, one thing we didn't touch, and maybe next time we will organize this panel, I will make sure that there will be one more person here setting, representing the data and IT industry. Because when we talk about the renewables, about the electric vehicles, about the energy, it's not standalone things anymore. I started my career building the solar power plants in our country. And at the time, it was 10 years ago, it was really like a standalone view. I'm going to build a source. But now, as we are talking, we are talking about the smart charging. Smart charging is impossible to do any kind of a smart thing without a huge amount of data, about processing, about intelligence. And I think it's very interesting to see how this transportation topic, energy topics, and IT and data topics are merging. Therefore, I was actually, I think it's a very good move from the commission doing a CEF project and merge everything under one umbrella, as we know that we have now the energy, transportation, and digital, I think that's, that's the right word. Sure. You are working in INEA and you have a certain like a technical capacity. When you want to answer some technical questions in INEA, we always approach you. So I think you have a very good overview about the projects that are running in these various fields. Can you tell us about what's happening in Europe in this respect? What you can observe? Is the quality of the project increasing? Tell us more. Okay. Well, just to set the picture, as I said, we have 100 projects more or less in alternative fuel and, and big data. Third of it, I mean, 34 projects more or less are relating to uh, electromobility. It represents 1 billion euro investment in total, and a quarter of it, 250 million, has been provided by SEF grant. So the idea was really to have a good incentive for runners to support the initial investment and the extra capex uh, which was needed. What I can say, okay, let's be very honest. What we have seen up to now through these uh, 34 projects, I would say it's a bit like uh, keeping uh, the business as usual, I explain. I mean, uh, what we have is big energy producers, distributors, I mean TSOs, DSOs, uh, and, and up to the consumer at the very end of the value chain. And on the other hand, we see operators supporting the change of fuel, which is fine. But of course, as everybody knows, there is nothing much looking like a traffic jam of a diesel cars and a traffic jam of electric cars. So it does not solve all the issues, of course, but what we have supported up to now was very much along a very linear model of energy production, distribution, and usage. 
I'm not saying that because you're here, but we had two very disruptive, I mean, are starting to be disruptive projects, and it's with uh, Greenway and with Allego. I'm really it's not... <laughs> <laughs> It's not, it's, not, <laughs> it's not prepared. But really, why? I mean, I'm, I'm saying that. Because first, we have a, a start of the integration process, which happens. You, you mentioned about the energy company, but we have, uh, with Allego and with Overalls, we had a kind of a combined functions of CPO, MSPs, uh, energy, etc. With Greenway, it was one of the first projects where we added to the network and the deployment of a charging network battery storage to the limited uh, size in the project and in the two projects uh, that yeah. we had with uh, EV, um, fast EV net and advanced EV net. But it was uh, one of the first of this kind. And then we had another project with one of your partners, which is uh, Verbund, which was a synergy project, which was exactly based on that as well. So it was one of the first disruptive projects that we were able to finance. So it was a very good sign already, in considering what you said just before. And uh, with Allego, it's a bit the same as well, in the sense that uh, what we see is that Allego is kind of bringing the consumer in the middle of a chain, mm -hmm. and not at the very end, in a way. In the sense that we have a project, for example, uh, I have no actions in Allego, huh? <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but uh, you, you develop this concept, which is more and more uh, accurate uh, for the needs in the cities, which is to, to have hubs, where not only you find electric vehicles, but you will find uh, electromobility for public transport. And then at the end of the day, the consumer will be able to choose not only the energy, but the means of transport to combine it, etc. And all of this managed by uh, IT systems, of course. So at the end of the day, you have uh, an electric vehicle, which may be indeed part of a grid. And this will uh, support very much uh, to have not only a, a one-way uh, power flow, but a two-way power flow at the end of the day. So we are not yet there completely, but with those two projects, so I'm very happy that <laughs> indeed it's uh, this situation, you, we have both of you here, but we had some disruptive elements that we were able to finance for the very first time. Of course, it does not solve everything. You mentioned it for Poland. If uh, electricity is produced from coal, Okay, we still have a step forward to improve the system, but at least the, the infrastructure is in place, start to be in place, uh, and this is what we want to support. And in the future, I mean, uh, it was said before, we have a program, financial program to support that, but it's the end of the programming uh, period and the next programming is arriving. And in particular, with Horizon Europe uh, and CEF2, them will be, and hopefully, and it will be decided so, the Member States and the Parliament, but there will be more synergy. We are looking not only at transport energy in a very separated way, I mean in silos, it's really, uh, in Horizon Europe in particular, it's really following the SDG goals, it's really following climate, energy and mobility. And uh, we talked about uh, transport before, but uh, we really think in terms of mobility again. So it's not just to replace the fuel, but it's to change the behavior uh, of a consumer. So this is a bit the, the scope and what we see evolving through uh, the projects that we have financed from 2010, more or less. The very first project was a Better Place, yeah. which failed, but okay, it was a, a pilot. And the concept was extremely seducing, but not viable as such. 
And now we come back to batteries, but uh, with a very different and rational approach. And this is very good. So between 2010 and 2018, this is uh, the improvement, again on batteries, but with a viable business model model and integration of all the partners uh, behind that. Can someone comment on the synergies? And- yes, I can comment on that because you mentioned as well the hubs. That's one of the parts of the our crucial parts of... We, we see that out of our... Well, about 12,500 charge points we have installed and operational at the moment. We see that most of the charging is done in metropolitan areas. So that's where we focus on. You still have to go drive to A and B, but the multiple charging will be done in metropolitan areas. And the hubs are really, and I hope uh, we are very short to open up the first one where we have different charging modalities, AC, DC, fast charge, but also buses. And that will be for uh, one of the first long-distance buses <laughs> which will start driving here in Europe over a long distance, fully electric. And of course, these buses need to be charged, but if you use pantograph charging, it takes about three to four, five minutes to charge. In that case, the ACs, which are there parked for several hours, you can reduce them for the time being, mm-hmm. use the same grid connection, because we know they are very expensive, so we have to use them wisely. So we give the energy to the bus stand, quickly charge, and the cars park there on the plaza with all the AC they will not even notice. Okay, there will be 30 seconds later, fully charged, but the consumer doesn't notice it. And that is smartly using between the different charging modalities and using. Combining it with solar and wind, I will have the perfect solution. I'm going to ask a question, because uh, we keep hearing reports about uh, what's happening to data and to your data that is inside cars and is generated by your cars. And implicitly, when you buy a car, you sign a contract whereby you give that data to the car manufacturer. So now, what's the implication for you guys in terms of future business model? I mean, because it probably also means that, you know, business is changing, revenues are changing, so they're looking at the future as legitimate. They want to use that data better than others. So do you have similar issues there that the aftermarket services have? Is this something that you're looking into already now, or is it too early? No, we are looking into that, but it's a tricky thing. Basically, as a charge point operator, the car that comes there to charge, we do not know who's the driver, because we use a tag, so we only have an, an identified number that we work with. So we do not know who's the person behind it. So we, as a charge point operator, the only thing we can do is basically optimize the graph of the charging from which we most of our back office can recognize what kind of car it is. With that, we can play, but not directly because we do not have access to the actual driver and his information. Of course, we would like to have that, but then we come into a completely different role. And that's one of the things we are looking at at the moment because that would place Allego in a completely different role that we have access to drivers. That gives us the opportunity, of course, to do way more things and be more smartly. But that would mean uh, we currently, as a chargement operator, would be becoming a completely different role and have also a different role in security and uh, privacy rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. From my perspective, um, we don't work on the data use uh, in electromobility uh, specifically, but this is also the question of data access and and how to uh, yeah to access the data to make sure that the consumer can give also access to this data. That's a, a question that's important for solar when you look at uh, self-consumption business models where you need the data, the consumption and generation data from the consumer. And we tried to work on that and to look at best practices. And I think that schemes like the, the one in Estonia, that's very well known. I think there is one also in Denmark. Um, so, for example, yes, in Estonia, there is a platform where all consumers can basically 
find their data, consumption data, and easily give and consent to the use of their data. I think this is absolutely needed. This is needed in the energy mm. sector, and I'm sure that this would help uh, mm. also the transport sector. Maybe to answer that, we already have prepared in our back office, and that's for the customers that basically are known to us because they've signed up to our Lego and are using our app, that there is the option, and you need to have an open energy market for that if you have solar power on your roof, and maybe you have access production, which you give back to the grid at that moment, that you have like a saving account that you can use. So if you're in your car somewhere in the future to charge from somewhere else, he says, I work like to charge my car with the kilowatts I have in my savings account. Okay, energy companies will be in between that. They will charge something for that. But it gives you the feeling that your home charged kilowatts do not disappear into the grid, but you can use them later on. You'll pay something for that, but you can charge your car. So you become CO2 neutral and uh, better in balance for that. So that is all what's possible with, if you start connecting things, there's a lot of opportunities there to combine these kind of things to balance them. Maybe our position regarding the data, I think when it comes to the everything that we talk about, smart charging, integration, renewables, and so on and so forth, it requires naturally information to do it properly. And the basic information in charging uh, is basically how much energy do I have and how much I need in the future. How much I need, it means that where I'm going to do, what I'm going to do with the car. I'm going home, I'm going trip, what's my plan? That's probably only in the head of the consumer, maybe in his calendar as well, I have to say. And on the other side, what I have is in the status of the battery in a car. And I strongly believe, to be honest, our position is that this data should be owned by the customers and you should be able to decide about this data. So if the customer, based on his decision, decide that this data from the car should be shared, whomever, it could be a CPO, they should have a possibility to influence that and be able to even force the car producers to share the data about the status of the battery with the CPO, if the customers decide. And with the coming of OCPP 2.0, it is possible in that protocol yes. the state of charge is being communicated. And if the driver then allows, then we can do something with it. At the moment, it's still uh, not possible to communicate. Most cars do not share that state of charge and hand it over to us. Uh, that's not a technical problem. It's, uh, that's just a technical thing that uh, yeah. with the next generation of language of communication is resolved. No, maybe another topic, still on the, all the points discussed before, on the grid connection, the cost of it, the need for power to supply users. One way, indeed, is to have batteries uh, to mitigate the peak, to shave the peaks, etc. Another way is to raise the question as well, uh, do we really need ultra-fast charging at this point in time, and to which extent? I mean, I'm not saying we don't, we aren't supporting this as well. Uh, through other projects, but uh, basically we are talking about 150, 350. So the question is, is the Porsche mission, Jaguar, E-Pace, Audi, e-tron, triggering the mass market adoption in the next five, six years? Not completely sure. And this requires a lot of, uh, a bit provocative, huh? uh, so uh, this requires a lot of power, actually. So it's needed, but uh, indeed the approach, which is to allow for uh, the availability of charging along the, the TNT network across Europe is one key element for us. The other key element, and that's why through projects we, we focused on that more and more, is to see what can be done at the level of cities or interurban areas where people live, work, etc., and shop because this is where are as well the needs. And when you look at the data that everybody knows is that a car is parked 90% of its time. 
Uh, it's indeed a good resource to inject power into the grid, but uh, it's as well a sign that when you unpark 20 or 22 hours a day, you don't need fast charging, or you don't even. I'm not talking about ultra-fast, but uh, already fast charging. So it's really an approach uh, which uh, helps mitigating the power need, mitigating the investment needs, and ramping up slowly with a market, I mean slowly or maybe more easily with a mass market adoption as long as you have a cars available, of course, from the OEMs. From our position, fully agree. I think it would be ecosystem of various types. And as you said, ultra-fast charging, especially provocative, uh, taking into account that the vehicles which you mentioned are not able to really uh, use the 350 kV capabilities. <laughs> that's another component of all this. But you showed it as well in your approach as well. That's basically, there will be a mixture of AC, DC and fast charging. There's one group that we see coming up in the Netherlands now, basically, and that's the last mile distribution. That was the group that we love because that are the ones that did diesel, the dirty diesel, small vans, dropping off all the stuff my wife bought on the internet three times a day. <laughs> so we get off with those and start having them completely electric because that is going to bring a huge change. But these guys, they need to make money and they will start using these hubs where they can charge quickly and get on the next route there. So there will be different charging modalities and the basic will be done on AC, but if you do not have your own parking grass and there's no public charging somewhere in your vicinity where you live, with the size of the batteries, it is possible that you come to charging locations where you can fast charge or medium fast charge, where you combine it with doing your shopping, going to the movies, going to sports with the kids, combining it with something that you have to do anyway. And by the way, the car is being charged in the meantime. That's why you need the hubs. And that was, I think, Peter, what you were referring to as well. And that is where we see that the future is. There also in these locations, it will be a mix of ultra-fast. That's the people that, oh, I forgot to charge. I have to quickly charge. And off I am. But the rest of it, you use the other modalities. Any other comments? We can talk about ours, but give a chance to audience to... Thank you. I have maybe two questions. Today I read two interesting articles. The first one was that based on the latest International Energy Agency report, the global CO2 emissions are rising and by 3% for last year, which is the highest pace in last decade. So the question is, because we are now all day talking about the mobility, renewables and so on, are we doing enough and are we doing it fast enough? to respond to demand and uh, other factors which are influencing the increase of the emissions globally or on a regional level in the EU. And uh, the other article I was reading about is that oil and gas companies like Shell and Total are going to enter the electricity market or the energy market as we talk about it now. And together with other alternative fuel companies dealing with hydrogen, CNG, LNG, LPG and so on, Will these companies be, uh, let's say, more supportive to develop the market? Will it accelerate the market, help the market? Or on the other hand, will it be more harmful? Because I can imagine like Shell will enter the market with their huge capital and they will just kick everybody out and like people come down, let's use diesel and petrol. It's still the best alternative that you have. Yeah. Uh... Maybe I can, I can uh, comment on the last thing. Yeah, it's interesting that there is a lot of M&A activities in our business and really the energy companies, even the oil and gas companies going in, in UK, in Shell, in, in the Netherlands and so on and so forth. As far as I can observe at this stage, they are constructive. So they are really bringing the money in and the companies where they entered really moving forward. So they are not really blocking them. I want to believe that this is really a long-term strategy. It's not like something which is just too, too preventive. For the moment, I think they are supportive, but maybe you have better experience. From <laughs> At the moment, I would welcome it because it is like these dinosaurs, as we call them, 
finally start to open up their eyes and starting to move into these energy markets. And that's good to see that it's happening. And let's be honest, we're talking about a market which is this size at the moment, but the potential is from floor to bottom. So there is, at this moment, place for everybody. There's only one thing I would like to say, and that is let's use open standards so that the best one will win in the end and let the market define who's going to be that. And then let's see if Shell has the capability of adopting this completely into their DNA, that they will be one of the future companies into electric charging and uh, the energy market as well. But you see the same for the OEMs. The OEMs are making a step into the energy market as well because they all see, hey, this is new developing market, there's potential there, so everybody tries to get his share. Um, yes, yeah, so to reply to our first question first, are we doing enough? Well, no, we could do a, a lot more uh, always. I mean, we really need to go fast and there is a huge effort needed to decarbonize the economy and not only the electricity sector, but all the sectors which have their own challenges. Nevertheless, I would like to still point out uh, that there was a, a good, uh, important legislation that has been adopted today in the parliament that aims at really reforming market rules and setting new renewable energy objectives and cooperation between member states to uh, reach these uh, renewable energy targets. We have a new target of uh, 32% of renewables in uh, the EU by 2030, starting from uh, 27% target so that's quite uh, ambitious so yeah a lot of work uh, still needs to be done but there is cooperation at uh, EU level and that's very positive and yeah on a small word on the, your second question we had the case uh, uh, recently, uh, one of our members, uh, Zonen, which is a, a small company which produces uh, residential battery, battery storage, has been uh, bought by Shell. And uh, indeed, I think it's very positive that these companies invest and get active in this sector. And yeah, I don't see it as a, as a slowdown. Just to answer you, the, the classical uh, commission LTT, we have done enough. I mean, Europe is the only major economy in the world that has translated climate agreement into law. So in that sense, Europe is still at the forefront of fighting against climate change. Now recently, figures in public, you know, Youth for Climate and other movements actually demonstrating maybe it's not enough. So yeah, like I said before, there are revision clauses and we will certainly do much more in the future. Okay, thank you everybody for participating in this panel and as well for coming to this conference. I don't know, Aaron, if you want to say the final word. Hard to follow this panel, but I mean, it's been really fascinating just to say to everyone, yeah, thank you very much for coming. Thank you for being here. If you do one thing after this conference, um, well, two things. One, stay engaged in the debate, of course. There's a lot of topics that are still in their, in their infancy. And the other is find someone who's never been in an electric vehicle. Take them for a ride. Really show them the joys and the wonder, because that's really one of the strongest things that we can do to really spread and evangelize the transition. There it was, the debate from Brussels. I found it so illuminating to get such a wide range of perspectives. And indeed, it is exciting times in electric mobility and there is a lot of potential here, as you can see. And don't forget, we've already produced one episode from Brussels before and there's a third coming in the next few weeks. You can find the episodes in the archive of the Electric Avenue podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Anchor. If you liked this episode or any of the shows in the series, share it with a friend and let him or her share the experience as well. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can reach me at my email, which is aaron.fishbone at greenwaynetwork.com, tweet at us at gwoperator.com, or find us on Facebook. And please leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform, which also helps people learn about us. 
Finally, I want to thank all the panelists who joined us in Brussels and to our podcast team of Julia Birchakova, Katarina urban richterova and Oksana Ferancova. I'm Aaron Fishbone. Until next time, dear listeners, we wish you many happy and safe electric kilometers. We're looking at energy storage and the role of CPOs here in the electricity sector. And we're so excited about it that even though today is my wife's birthday, I still made sure to come and uh, be here for it because I'm really excited to hear how it's going.